Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bonus 64. This is a special show unique from our regular programming where a Patreon guest will come on and uh, make us play any damn game that they want. And it's always very exciting. We get to talk to some really fun people and play some really fun games that are outside our usual scope. And it's very exciting. Today, we are playing uh, Kid Icarus Uprising. And you know what? Just as a little bonus, I threw in a couple of other Kid Icarus games in there. Why not? I'm going to play. I played all of them. So... We're going to talk about it. Uh, my name is Steve Guntley, and I am a metaphor for hubris. Oh, and you're a metaphor for one? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I, I guess the Icarus myth is more like directly. Uh, it's not even it's too it's too direct to even be a metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it it's just a story. It's like the moral. It's like it's a yeah. fable. Oh, let's say I'm the personification of hubris. How about there that? we go? I'll there buy that. Is. There it is. Um. Hi, my name's Woody Siskowski. <laughs> uh, and we are joined by uh, one of our faves uh, back once again, uh, all the way from Australia. Please say hello. It's Elliot J. O'Neill. Hello again. Hello. I'm the disappointing ground levels to your guys soaring through the skies on rail section. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Ooh, well, that's, boy. That's, that's, you, you sell yourself short there, Elliot. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, Elliot, Elliot gives us all hand cramps. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. I've, this this is my first time tackling uh, uprising, and uh, so I'm I'm excited to get into some of that. It's a that's a very fascinating game, uh, and we will we will get into it in time here. But firstly, I wanted to ask Elliot, uh, since you, you know, obviously you get to come on and choose any game you wanted to choose, uh, wanted yep. to play. Uh, why did you go with the kid? Well. Yeah, I've been uh, done this show a few times now, and I've sort of made a little semi-tradition of choosing games that play weird or have interesting control schemes, you know, between Ring Fit Adventure yeah. or Guitar Hero or Red Steel 2 or House of the Dead. And mm -hmm. yeah, I can think of no game that controls as weird as Kid Icarus Uprising. It is so unusual. Like, it's really, it's hard to even describe how unusual uh, trying to play this game is. Yeah. Uh, and, like, how it still manages to be, like, a fun game despite some pretty serious hindrances. Like, it's it's an interesting balance that I'm excited to get into. No, absolutely. And, yeah, one of the uh, only games to ship with a kickstand. I think it's, like, that and Wii Party U <laughs> as well also shipped with a kickstand. But, yeah. Right. Okay, that 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 kind of explains part of it because I just that that's where I kept getting hung up. I'm like, I have nowhere to balance the right side of my 3ds. Right, like, I was kind of trying to like lift up my knee and rest it against my knee. It's just, it, it, yeah, it's an odd sensation to be trying to play a video game and kind of physically adjusting yourself to um, be more comfortable, like and be able to see the yeah. screen. And it's so strange to play a handheld game that like basically necessitates you not holding it in your hands <laughs> in order to like actually play it like you need to kind of set it up like a little tv yeah uh, when i first played strange. through this game like yeah i played it almost exclusively on my desk and even yeah replaying it for this podcast yeah i tried playing it on the couch like balancing a cushion and using a kickstand and all that but like yeah you need a table to play this game which is so weird for a handheld <laughs> it's so strange it's so strange um like you said, you you chose just Kid Icarus Uprising, the 3DS game. But I thought, you know, what the hell? Let's do all three. It's a very brief series, but I think it's kind of a notable one. Uh, because I remember, like, you know, in the early 2000s or something like that, this was the game that was kind of talked about as, like, the cult game. Like, this is the, sure. this is the forgotten Nintendo gem. 
And then I think by the time the virtual console came out and people had easy access to it once again, I think a lot of that enthusiasm faded. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because you're getting to, you're getting to see some of the things that you may have like glossed over when you played it when you were younger. Uh, what what are your guys' experiences with Kid Icarus? Um, I remember playing Kid Icarus and the thing that I kind of assumed it must be a good game because I remember the cartridge looking very similar to Metroid. Oh, like yeah. it had that that fa flat five screw um, design on the top of the cartridge and um, it had the little like pitfall hairy guy jumping over or swinging on a vine and said adventure series. And oh, I'm right. like, ah, this is part of the adventure series with Metroid. So it, it must be good. Um, and then when I actually, I think I finally went back and maybe beat this game in the, the early two thousands because I had, you know, had been following that wave of like, this is a hidden gem hype. And I, I, I must've somehow scummed my way through it with save states or something because like, this is a hell of a game, um, in terms of just difficulty and frustrations. Yes. But I do, I definitely remember beating it. This I I consider this one of my big gaming accomplishments is that I have beaten this game on the original NES with no save states and no uh, uh, rewinding. Wow! It's like I was trying to play it on uh, my Switch, like kind of in anticipation of this episode, and I was just like rewinding constantly, and I'm just like, wow, how the fuck did I do this? <laughs> like, just the sheer frustration uh, uh, point that this game offers is uh, uh, kind of a steep challenge to overcome. I do think that having the ability to rewind in games just kind of intrinsically makes you play sloppier. <laughs> yes. Because you're just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm not going to pay that much attention because if I die, I'll just rewind. Oh, yeah. Um, and how about you, Ellie? Did you play the originals at all? Is this, are these uh, games that you grew up with? Um, I definitely dipped in and out, like, in between Virtual Console and, you know, NES Online on the Switch. But I think my starting point was definitely Super Smash Bros. Brawl, wondering... Uh, who okay. is this fun little winged fellow? And if I recall correctly, like Smash Brothers Brawl had like uh, timed demos of some earlier Nintendo games. That mm. was that one, wasn't uh -huh, it? Yeah, that's right. And yeah, I'm yeah, because it would link directly to the Virtual Console. They're like, right. hey, you enjoyed this? That's Buy it right, right here. That's right. And no, I didn't take them up on their offer there because yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, weird, goofy game where yeah, I'm an eggplant now. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't have a lot of history with the earlier ones, but, yeah, I, this game definitely got my attention and, and um, yeah, very enthusiastic about it at the time, certainly. I mean, it definitely stands out. Like, you can see why people have a lot of affection for it when you first boot it up, and I think it's it's only... We're once... talking NES, right? NES, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So Kid Icarus was released July 1st, 1987. It was developed by Nintendo and Toze and published by Nintendo. And this was an NES exclusive, but it is now available pretty much anywhere you want to play it. Uh, so credit for this game is usually given to Gunpei Yokoi, the father of Metroid, inventor of the Game Boy, all-around Nintendo legend. Uh, he was a producer of this, and he oversaw much of the development, but the project is really the brainchild of a guy named Toru Osawa, who was making this game all by himself, uh, and he was trying to make more of an RPG that kind of blended elements of uh, uh, some action with a lot of Greek mythology, which we, he found very fascinating. Uh, but then a little game called Metroid came out, and uh, that proved to be a pretty big hit, and it showed that uh, kids wanted to play like more action-y games. So 
Gunpei Yokoi attached uh, more people to the development team and they redeveloped it as more of an action game. Like the RPG elements are there, but just kind of hinted at in some of the dungeon levels. Yeah, um, I think that this game falls into kind of an uncomfortable middle area sometimes of having enough RPG elements to just be a little bit sort of tedious and annoying. Right. Um, where and sort of just distracting from the action elements because it is really at its core um, just a pretty difficult platformer. Because it's it's a game with a weird amount of items for for like the, the most of them don't really do a whole lot, but there feels like there's so many items in it and it feels like they should be doing something, you know? And it has it has that NES poorly explained symptom <laughs> where like you probably bought this game used, you know, in 1996 for $5. Right. Um, and then you had no idea what anything, any of the mechanics did. I was I remember being extremely confused by why all the enemies kept turning into hammers. And they and don't like, look like hammers. They don't really they, look like hammers. They, they yeah. look more like keys than hammers to me. Right. I wasn't and, entirely clear on what they were and what they did uh until, you know, you finally get to the dungeon. I think you use them to like break open the little statues, but mm. uh it that's not very clearly explained. Um but yeah, so this game uh, came out, uh, the team was working around the clock to meet their deadline, and they finished the game two days before it was actually released on the Famicom. Wow. So the Famicom version actually looks quite rough compared to what we got uh, in North America and other PAL regions and things like that, because um, that came out six months later. So the Japanese release was on the disk system, so it allowed for actual like physical saving, but this was actually one of the first NES games to ever use a password system. One of the first games, period, to use a password system, which, of course, we all love and cherish and uh, <laughs> want to bring back, I assume, right? Don't you miss playing, like, Elden Ring and, like, putting in, like, 15 uh, oh, <laughs> man. symbols? Can, can you imagine the amount of variables that you would have to put in to create an Elden Ring password. Oh my it would God. be like a thousand digits long. <laughs> I, I I could see like if any series is going to bring it back, it's going to be like a Soulsborne game. Like just to, <laughs> just to be anachronistic and like say fuck you to everybody. It's like, oh, I hope you have like a composition notebook handy. You're filling <laughs> this out. Right, because the original Metroid, and I think Kid Icarus too, had passwords that were like... Um, God, it was Boy, like how... 24 digits or something crazy. Like, it, yeah, they were that, really that long. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they used zeros and O's and it oh. was it was crazy. Yeah, that was that the, that was kind of you eventually learned that the secret to beating the original Metroid was just never turn your console off. Yes. Yeah. I think that's how I beat Kid Icarus, too, because I just did yep. not want to write those down. Yep. Uh, they were pretty. Ridiculous. Make you ruin the note section of your game manual there. <laughs> oh yes, you just like scroll in there. I I do love like buying really old games like in the case and finding uh, manuals that somebody has doodled in. You know, that's always a that's always a nice little treat. Yeah, uh, this game or or, or yeah, it's it's that shared. It, it's the carrying on the legacy, or when you would buy used cartridges and somebody's saved game of like butt face would still be on there and you're like ah clearly a classy individual had this game before i butt face uh maybe one of the greatest gamers of all time like uh, he's he's up there with ass you know like every every time i go to an arcade ass has the high score like go figure uh so this game sold well enough it sold about a million copies back in the early nes days which is not nothing uh but critics were largely mixed on it they liked the character design and the music but they felt it was unreasonably difficult 
Uh, and there was an early push to make Pit one of Nintendo's B-tier mascots. Of course, we all remember Captain N, the Game Master. Did that come out in Australia, Elliot? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> this, oh boy, okay, all right. I, I'm going to send you on a YouTube rabbit hole because uh, this is one of the finest American television shows ever made. Captain N, the Game Master, is about a boy who gets sucked into his TV and lives in video game land. And he has a team of heroes. There's like a, a, a fictitious princess who's created for the show. And then their allies are Simon Belmont from Castlevania, Mega Man, and Kid Icarus, uh, who was not called Pit back then. He was just called Kid Icarus. Oh. And they fight against Mother Brain and uh, the Eggplant Wizard. And I think King Hippo was one of the other thugs. Uh, it's one of the cheapest looking, like shittiest cartoons ever. But uh, you know, video game fans had that. That's yeah. I'm just uh, looking at it quickly with the sound down, man. This makes the Super Mario cartoon look <laughs> look like a Pixar it's film. It's so funny. They turn like Simon Belmont into Launchpad McQuack for some reason. Mm. Like he's this big chinned like uh, a doofus with a jean jacket, and uh, it's pretty great. <laughs> pretty great show. Uh, so yeah, all right. So gameplay wise, this is a vertical platformer, which I think is like that sounds weird now, and I think it was more much more common in the early NES days. It makes me think well, of yeah, like that, this and ice climbers. Well, and the original Metroid. Like, right. Metroid, yeah. Once you once you get through that initial area of Metroid, there's just this very long chamber that you have to climb that seemingly goes on forever like i remember in the original metroid like i would climb out i would get to a door in that chamber which is like the third the third screen on the game and i'm like oh my god i'm so far in this game right just because like it felt like it went on forever yeah oh yeah no it was massive and i mean this has kind of that same feeling without really the sense of scope or wonder necessarily it's an all black background uh especially in the early parts because you're supposed to be in the underworld in this first level sure and it's still it, it, you know it's it's a level based game like i feel like the thing that kind of clicked with metroid is like in terms of integrating kind of a more adventure rpg elements into action is like oh, this is all one, you know, one seamless world. And I right. can go all the way back to the beginning and there's secrets to uncover and things like that. It's like here, once you beat a level, you're just done with that level. Right. And you're kind of being shunted along through it, right? Because the screen moves to to keep you going. And uh, it's yeah, got you, you that... can't backtrack or you'll just mm. fall. I'm I was I'm forgetting the name of the term, but you know, like when you walk off one end of the screen and like walk back on the other end, like kind of Pac-Man style. Like this has that. So like sometimes and it uses it in some that. weird ways. Sometimes it it's kind of like a puzzle mechanic of like you have to pick a direction to go, and then because it's blocked from one end, but then you walk off to the side and come out the other mm. end. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit odd. Yeah, and like the the game is divided basically into two kind of modes. There's this mode, this initial vertical platforming, which is just kind of dodging enemies, shooting enemies, and like exploring little caves to get power ups, and that's all fine. Uh, I think that's pretty fun and playable. And like there's a there's a challenge there, but it feels like rooted in gameplay. Sure. Uh, then uh, each level is capped off with a fortress stage, and this is where I think things go a little bit off the rails because this is where they're kind of trying to incorporate more of those RPG mechanics. And so it's like a dungeon a la Zelda, you know, where you get to walk around and you can backtrack and you can like explore and build out your map a little bit. Uh, but you have lots and lots of those little pipes that just spew endless enemies, mm. you know, so you're always getting kind of overwhelmed by snakes or something. And then you have the motherfucking eggplant wizard. Mm. All right. I, I, I think we need to talk about the eggplant wizard for a second as sure. Is this the worst video game enemy? 
Is this the most? Because like, I I I think he might be for me because so he, he doesn't remind, kill remind me about the eggplant wizard. Like I know he turns you into an eggplant. We all know all right. this. The the eggplant but... wizard is he is an eggplant who shoots eggplants that turns you into an eggplant. So <laughs> uh, you know he, he's he's very on brand with his whole thing. He's the he's the exhibit of eggplants. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Hey dog, I heard you like eggplants. Um, but yeah, so the eggplant wizard doesn't just kill you like a gentleman. No, <laughs> he turns you into an eggplant with feet. And as an eggplant with feet, you cannot defend yourself or uh, really do much of anything except walk around. And so you now need to backtrack throughout the dungeon and find your way to a hospital screen where you can have your body restored. I so see. like this led to so many like frustrating moments playing this game like it's one of the most aggravating things in any nes game because the arcs of the little eggplant spell that he throws at you are kind of unpredictable they clip a little bit like through uh platforms sometimes they'll hit you when you think you're safe and like i said it just it isn't it isn't like that you have to start over. It's that you have to keep your game going and just backtrack. And now right. it's in way some ways it's for worse. You. you would rather right. start over because then you don't have to walk back to the beginning, essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because then, yeah, like, yeah, now you're just walking back and you can get killed by any number of things, you know, and, and you may not have been charting like where that hospital was in the dungeon or you may not have found it yet, you know. So, I mean, that's a consistent thing for all terrible – so many terrible enemies in video game histories are not are not the ones that deal you a lot of damage, but the ones that knock you into a pit, and then you have to, like, climb back up out of it. And you're like, oh, I hate it when this game just wastes my time. It just punishes me by making things take longer. Yeah. It's a it's a frustration offensive, and I, I yeah. really hate and it. it's funny that yeah there is a level in Uprising where the eggplant wizard appears and then Palatina and Pitt acknowledge the one of old and like don't worry this one is only a temporary effect it won't, you won't have to backtrack and they're yes. like yes uh, thank God this game's better <laughs> like I really <laughs> appreciated that like I actually kept playing Uprising until I could find an egg, eggplant wizard because I was just really curious how they would handle it. And it's very unobtrusive in that game. Like, you know, you, you get turned into an eggplant for a few seconds and then you zap right back. And you can still this dodge, one is, so uh, it's not, it's just, yeah, temporary, temporary nerf. Yeah, it's just a, just a minor little inconvenience rather than, you know, a controller-breaking frustration. Exactly. <laughs> I do feel like the legacy of um, Kid Icarus is that Pitt is kind of, he's a cool-looking, he's a cool-looking character. He's distinct in sort of, the realm of any uh, Nintendo characters. The initial music from the game is really, really good. Um, like it's a very sort of catchy tune. Yeah, it's a it's and, a hip Tanaka score who did like the game, the music for Metroid and a lot of early uh, NES games. And I think at its core, like yeah, this game just kind of when you see screenshots of it, it just films you with warmth and nostalgia because it just looks like an early NES game. Yeah. Like, and so you, it reminds you of other early NES games, even if it itself is not the most fun of them. Yeah. And I, there was just this like huge wave of nostalgia for this game. And I just remember thinking like when I was younger, that this was this unattainable gem that I would never get a chance to play until I like was able to get a, a working NES, you know, someday I sure. can get one again. Mm -hmm. I think I had it in my head that like once your NES is like taken off the shelf or once you like no longer have it in your house, it's just like unattainable now. Like you can't get one. <laughs> like they destroyed them all in a fire. Yeah, you, you've missed your chance for life. Yes. Yeah, that's it. That was your one shot and you missed it. 
but yeah, now once it became like readily available, I think the flaws started kind of shining through a little bit. And uh, so a lot of the a lot of the bloom has come off the rose with Kid Icarus. But I still think it's kind of a fun game. It's just kind of those if those fortress levels weren't there, I would enjoy this game a lot more. Um, but even then, like without the fortress levels, it's almost too simplistic. So it's it's just kind of like a it's kind of a B. It's kind of a B sure. overall. Yeah. yeah, and I found when I did I'm play still, it, I'm... like those vertical um, old platformers, like the thing with going left to right is it feels a lot more predictable than going from down to up. Like it feels like they just drop enemies on you unfairly, like in the case of this and ice climbers right. and yeah. things like that. Well, because if you go left to right, um, like in Mario Brothers, your your character's usually centered like in the middle of the mm. screen. Yeah. Um, so there's plenty of time to see enemies upcoming. Here, you always feel like you're close to the top of the screen. So when enemies start coming down at you, you have hardly any time to react. Yeah. And your your bow and arrow like doesn't really have much range either. So they kind of need to be right on top of you if you're going to damage anybody. And this is one of those games where, like, they're just throwing tons of hearts at you, but hearts are not health. Yeah. <laughs> and that always drives me crazy. It's like the Castlevania thing. It's like, yeah, obviously I would use hearts to throw axes. Yeah. You know? That makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. Uh, so that is the original Kid Icarus. Uh, this game was followed up with an immediate sequel in 1991 on the Game Boy, and it was called Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters. That was released November 1st, 1991, developed by Nintendo and published by Nintendo it is a Game Boy exclusive. I think it still pretty much just lives there until uh, sure. Nintendo does like a Game Boy channel or whatever on their uh, Switch Online service, which I would really love. Yeah, um, that would be nice. But despite being developed by Nintendo, uh, this is one of the few first-party NES games that did not get a release in Japan at all. This oh. was released in North America, Europe, and uh, I believe Australia like in, and some PAL regions, but uh, it did not get a release in Japan at all because... For whatever reason, this character is just more popular uh, outside of Japan. Um, I mean, it, I don't think that that's ha that hard to explain. Like, yeah, the, this pits kind of like, I mean, this is not like an openly religious game in any in any realm, no. stretch of the word. But like, you know, Pit is an an angel. Like that's part of his aesthetic, and it's kind of rooted in sort of these greek and euro mythologies so it's like that's not necessarily going to resonate with the history of japan no uh, yeah that's fair that's fair yeah it is weird that they kind of rounded him up to being an angel like explicitly he is an angel because the greek myth of icarus is not anything to do with that you know it's right. a, you know a boy who had wax wings and he flew too high to the sun and then uh, the wings melted and he died you know like stupid kid that's that what a dumbass see this is why i don't wear wax wings like i learned my sure. lesson like i don't i do would it. simply make my wings out of other materials that wouldn't melt absolutely make you and you know what while we're on it why don't they make the whole plane out of the black box <laughs> and what's the deal with airline food yeah but yeah uh of myths and monsters i think kind of it's it's really basically just the first game again i think it's just a lot more polished and it actually has bigger and uh, more distinctive sprites to it and now sure. instead of just being shunted in one direction you uh can go like in all directions you know you have a, a large open level that you explore like by hopping up platforms and things like that I, you can go I, back I, got, I got the impression that um and i i didn't play this game too much because sometimes i have a lot of trouble getting into og game boy games yeah but like um i got the impression that from left and right kind of the environments repeat like very quickly like oh, it they? kind of goes left and right infinitely um but you just kind of circle around 
and you can you you always go vertical. I I don't know. And that's one I genuinely could not tell if that was the case, just because sure. the levels are fairly large, and yeah, a lot of elements are repeating. But I didn't notice anything specific. But but again, I I'm with you. I didn't play this game very much, uh, just because it's fine. Uh, but early Game Boy games are kind of a hard sell because there's such a yeah, sense of like, oh, that's it, huh? Yeah. Yeah. When when you take out. I think that kind of the memorable soundtrack and the color palette and that nostalgia that comes along with the first Kid Icarus game for NES, like mm-hmm. you're left with just a not particularly good platformer. Yeah. Like, it's mean, not it's not bad. It's just no, it's not bad. It, it's hard to think like, OK, this is the game I'm going to be excited to go back and play. Right. And these are these are the games that are always like hardest to talk about for this show just because there's not a lot of information on them. They didn't really have much of a cultural tale. Uh, and this was basically just it for Kid Icarus for like 20 for years. Pitt. It was it for yeah. Pitt. Pitt was in the shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this this was kind of it for him for the for the next 20 yeah. almost years. So, uh, 2000. Oh, yeah, because you're right. He wasn't even Smash Brothers Melee. He was not there. No. Uh, Ellie, did you get to uh, Myths and Monsters? Oh, uh, no, not at all. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, don't even Bro, worry about it. It's a it's a it's kind of a footnote. I mean, for what it's worth, Nintendo Power called this the 18th best Game Boy game of all time. Yeah. So, wow. There you uh, go. I'm just looking at some Take footage of it. it. It does like look pretty for a Game Boy game. Like, sure. um, no, it's but, it's perfectly charming. Yeah, yeah uh, but yeah, you've just got so many options of platformers. Yeah, I'm surprised it made it that high in their countdown. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, the very unbiased source of Nintendo power. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get to the main event here, a game called Kid Icarus Uprising. This was released March 23rd, 2012. It was developed by Project Sora and published by Nintendo. This is a 3DS exclusive and definitely a game, I think, that has to live on the 3DS. Like, I don't think there's any way you're you're porting this anywhere else. Uh, uh, it could be ported to the Wii U. <laughs> and, yeah, I suppose. I suppose. And, and play pretty compet. I mean, play equally competently on the Wii U as it does on the 3DS. Maybe I just feel like the the 3D is such an essential element of this one. Okay, like that's uh, fair. That that might be necessary, but you know. yeah, that's actually one something way, I so. wanted to ask you guys. Uh, did you guys play it with the 3D yeah. slider up or on or off or where'd you go with that? I I played it totally on. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, uh, me me too. And it really it really does add a lot. Um, especially in those flight uh, flight sections, because it really does give a good feeling of depth, and it's you know the 3D is the 3DS is now in our past, and yeah. we look back on it fondly. But it is always cool to go back and actually use that 3D function because you know for all of the advances and in inroads in handheld technology, like the 3DS still looks the 3D and the 3DS still looks better than anything we've that's come later. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, like for a system called the 3DS, how quickly Nintendo gave up on 3D functionality for that device. Sure. So it's kind of cool to see a game like this, which was a launch title and was meant to be like a showcase for what this system can do. And I think it really does show off what the system can do. Yeah, it is. It is also that mixed blessing, though, of a game that is designed to be a showcase, um, especially for a Nintendo console or like. I, it was, I guess I, the thing that immediately comes to mind is when the PlayStation 3 came out and they wanted, or like, 
they wanted games to feature this six axis motion control. Right. Yeah. And so like a bunch of games kind of integrated these control methods that did not need it. It's like, oh, great. You're showing me this feature, which is I'm I guess it's fine that this is here, but can't you just can't there be some mechanism to turn it off? Mm. And like that to me is the heart of Kid Icarus Uprising. It, it, it wants to work so hard to like show you what the 3ds is capable of that it kind of forgets to just like be easy to play on its own i think that's true of a lot of like first or second year games for any console especially nintendo consoles which sort of have these you know Mm -hmm. quote gimmick controls like yeah the like you noticed with the Wii, there was a lot less waggling, you know, towards uh, of the games towards the end of the system's life, and yeah, same with the Switch. I mean, it, it, does anything you make advantage of HD rumble anymore? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't even think so. You know, and like if you if you even play like uh like the Uncharted like remastered collection or something like that, they take out all of the six axis stuff. So like they yep. they not only like abandoned that they actively remove it from their history so yeah like yeah and it's the yeah. same like there's the the uncharted being unch- there's like the uncharted game for vita which yeah. is really a perfectly competent uncharted game but it has a ton of these annoying mechanics where you have to like dust off artifacts you found by like using the back of the vita's touch screen or like right. blowing into the microphone <laughs> or something and you're like Ugh, i just want to like fucking jump on vines I think the smart thing that companies are doing uh, more and more is kind of like what uh, the PS5 is. They they have this game called Astrobot's Playroom, which they include. It's like maybe a two-hour-long platforming game, and each level just kind of shows off a specific feature of the Wii U or of the of the PS5, like and and what it does and like what you can do with it. You know, and that's a it's a nice way you can opt in and kind of decide to see what these do, or you can just kind of play a regular game. You know, like Steve, they're not going to force play, it. Uh... Did you play Aperture Jest Job on your uh, Steam Deck? I did. Yeah, that's another yeah, that's, good example of that. Yeah, that's and a fun that's one. really more of just like, a, you know, a 40-minute cutscene, but it, it really does a funny, cool cool way of showing off all the features of that system. Yeah, I enjoyed that game. Mm. Um, all right, so this game, uh, you know, like we said, it had a bit of a cult following growing up, but, uh, you know, really the biggest champion of this game was a guy named Masahiro Sakurai. You might know him better as uh, the the lead on the Super Smash Brothers series. And in 2008, he added Pit as a playable character in Super Smash Brothers Brawl, uh, which basically introduced the character to a whole new generation of gamers who had completely forgotten it. Keep in mind, it had been 17 years at this point since a Kid Icarus game, uh, 22 years since the first Kid Icarus game, the one that people are most likely to have played. So, you know, he's basically an unknown property at this point. It is uh, weird that um, somehow it just seems reversed. Like, you'd think that Kit, uh, Pitt would be the character who would, was in Melee, where yeah. everyone was went, mm. huh? And then they put uh, Ice Climbers in and Brawl. And they're like, oh, well, I guess I already put Pitt. That makes sense. It's just right. weird that that went the other way. It is like, strange. If Kit Icarus had some sort of, like... Um, cult reevaluation whereas ice climbers everyone was just like yeah that game was never good <laughs> yeah no when, when yeah i had no idea who the ice climbers were when that game first came out i was very confused they're still the worst character in the entire oh game. trust me all the fans of uh, uh papa and dodo what did they call them anyway they were going crazy <laughs> when they unlocked them in melee <laughs> <laughs> bring on that weird polar bear with sunglasses yay <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, Super Smash Brothers Brawl was developed by Sora Ltd, which was headed by Masahiro Sakurai. Uh, and uh, so the character was fresh in Sakurai's mind when Nintendo approached him in 2008 to develop a launch title for their ambitious new handheld to be called the 3DS. So Sakurai wanted to develop a third-person shooter for the console, uh, as that seemed kind of best suited for this technology. And he began plans for an original IP that would utilize this new tech. And then Satoru Iwata came to him and said, uh, please use one a game from our existing, our character from our existing stable. You can have your choice pretty much, but we wanted to have a, a recognizable Nintendo character. So we thought, hey, this is the time. Let's bring back Kid Icarus. Let's give him his whole full game. Players responded to him well in the in the Brawl games, and there was a bit of more of a push to get a little bit more out of him. So it's uh, Kid Icarus Uprising. Um, Uprising, one of the great, like, generic fill titles yes like it's it's right there with like maybe aftermath or requiem or like i always like requiem the, yeah the beginning resurrection uh, yes. <laughs> Re- oh resurrection's a good one <laughs> yeah yeah no that that is really great it, it really doesn't tell you much about this game and it also i would argue does not really capture the spirit or the vibe of this game not at all. like <laughs> Mm. It, up, sound, it sounds a little grittier than the actual gritty. tone that's going in here. Yeah, which is not gritty at all. Like, it's just kind of light and fun. Um, so he built a... Uh, uh, Sakurai built a special team called Project Sora to work on this game. This would end up being their one and only title. Um, and Sakurai was very hands-on with this game. He actually wrote the entire script himself and plotted out all of the game's entire story, which is pretty unusual for a, a developer to take that step. Sure. Um, as with the original series, Greek mythology was an inspiration, but the interpretation is very, very loose, with almost no actual connection to the kid Icarus or to the Icarus myth. Although they <laughs> they do flesh it out a little bit, because in this game, Pitt has wings that are given to him by Palutena, but she, he can only use them for five minutes at a time, or else they'll burn up in the sun. So, like, we get a nod to the original myth at the very least. But um, a disappointing lack of Kratos in this game. Oh, there we go. There is a disappointing lack of Kratos, sure. or, or like a, a third person, or like a, like a, a threesome mini game. Yeah. You know, I think that's what this one really needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, the yeah, the tone here is a lot lighter than I maybe would have initially anticipated. Like, it felt like the weirdness and kind of the silliness of the NES Kid, Kid Icarus thing. Um, like at one point, you you sort of open a door and then a bunch of noses fly at mm. you and you're like why are these noses attacking me um it felt like more of a necessity of like these are the these are the character sprites we have or like we were trying to make these look like something else and they just kind of look like noses whereas in this game i like the way that they lean into that history yeah like they 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 have the enemy still that just looks like a nose and you're like oh they they clearly meant to <laughs> to draw a nose here or like Sometimes um, Pitt will be talking to Palutena, who's kind of your uh, mentor on your intercom or whatever, um, and will cite an enemy. And then down at the bottom, Pitt's like, oh, you mean this guy? And they'll show like the sprite from mm. the original NES game. Yes, I loved that little detail. You know, I I was really surprised at how funny and engaging this game was. Like, I think the writing here is very sharp. Like, uh, and... Yeah, like you said, like Kid Icarus has always had kind of a, an off-kilter sense of humor and lots of little weird anachronisms. Like in the original game, you could buy, like, you, you could find credit cards throughout the game, which you could use mm-hmm. to like exchange for hearts or something. Uh, and this has a little bit of that too. Like the characters are aware they're in a game, 
they're referring back to older games like as games and they're just kind of like joking and quipping the entire time in in yeah what... like the the, the two, two main characters are very talky mm. like palutena is like oh she's the goddess of you know light or whatever and pit is kind of her devoted manservant mm. but she just kind of like makes fun of him a lot or like you know ki kids him and sends him like I don't know. It's just a very sort of playful energy, um, which I I was mixed on in the sense that at some sometimes I was ready for them to just kind of be quiet. Sure. Um, but I do agree that the dialogue itself is is pretty. Yeah, because that's another thing that stands I mean, out to me about how the dialogue and uh, all that plays out is because like I can be pretty mixed personally on cutscenes in games like firing up the new Bayonetta recently it just felt like this big long stupid movie at the start and it's like let me play the game like this throws you in and like while the talking is persistent and constant like we're not stopping for cutscenes ever it's all happening That's while the true. action's happening and uh yeah for me personally I find that pretty satisfying yeah I mean, I'm kind of notorious. I'm notorious for this. Like everybody knows, they they run hiding when I come uh, uh, walking down the street with a handheld game sure. console. But I keep the volume down on handheld games uh, because I just usually I'm usually doing something else while I'm playing a handheld game. So I'm either listening to a podcast or I'm watching TV or doing something like that because my brain is broken and that's the way I function. Uh, but this is the one I actually had to turn on, like the, the music all the way up and like listen to the dialogue because, well, firstly, you can't read the dialogue really because you're looking at the top screen and all the dialogues playing out on the bottom screen. Right. So like you're going to get a little chewed up if you uh, are looking to stopping to read it. And secondly, the voice acting was like funny yeah. and, and sprightly and they, they seem to have a really good sense of what kind of game they were making. Uh, and it, it really goes a long, long way. Uh, because this game has some frustrating elements. I think we need to get into it. Uh, let's let's talk about the the kickstand uh, and uh, just how exactly you control this thing. So yeah, well, yeah. So at its core, like this is a third person action game, and when you actually like break down what's happening here, um, nothing really that out of the ordinary or complicated is going on. Like it's much. It's very similar to, like, basically a Devil May Cry or a Bayonetta. Mm -hmm. um, you just have one basic attack button, whereas if you're at range, it's sort of a gun. And if you're close up, you'll use your sword. Um, but this was very ambitious for the 3DS. Like, it feels like a big sort of mm, fast-paced, like, console-style action game. And the 3DS, if you've been paying attention, only has one analog stick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so, like, they kind of worked around, okay, how do we use the features of the, how do we showcase the features of the 3DS and also cover up the fact that we only have one analog stick and we're trying to make a 3D action game. And that's, and, that's where it gets really confusing. So yeah. the, the way you need to play this game is you have your L button is your fire uh, sure. You can move your pit around a little bit with the circle pad, and then you do all of your aiming on the touchpad with a stylus. So if you can imagine holding the console like this, like uh, the way you normally hold a 3DS console, but uh, one of your hands is off on the right side. So basically this thing is listing to the right constantly while you're trying to, unless you're like propping it up on your knee or right. setting it on the included kickstand. Uh 
But again, that's just such an unintuitive way to play a handheld console. Like so, your your first your first mission here, like the game starts as kind of an on rail shooter, like a Star Fox sixty four or something, and I didn't have a big problem with it in in that in those stages because oh no, I I loved those sections. Like those were those were kind of the reason to play the game. Like uh, you yeah, know, you had a great like, sense of speed. Uh, you know the the three D the three D technology is really like being showcased here. Yep. And uh, yeah, and it's just the, fast the and fun. using it as a touch screen is is fairly accurate. Like you don't need to make very precise movements because you're only moving essentially in forward. There's no depth. There's no moving forward or backwards. Um, so you don't need to be quite as precise. And it really does work pretty well and feels pretty good. But about you know. A, min- a minute or two through these on rail section, it's like, okay, now your wings are going to burn out, so you need to land, and then the game moves on to uh, these on land sections, and this is where things get trickier. Mm. Yes. Um, <laughs> because you're using the stylus to aim and control the camera at the same time. Right. And, and so that... Like, the- is bizarre yeah. because uh, yeah, like they try and help you out by explaining like Pitt like comments that uh, the controls are kind of like spinning a globe. Like if you want to turn around, you want to like use a stylus to kind of spin the, the camera around. But in practice, like the 3DS second screen isn't like the most responsive thing. Mm-hmm. Like it works fine, but it, it really, I don't think they were, it was really designed for like constant play on that second screen. Am I right? Like, I don't know. It feels like it's always a little bit behind where you need it to be. No, I, I thought uh, that, especially it, during some of the boss battles where the action would get a bit more frantic, it was just, uh, it, it was so difficult to control. And yeah, you're right. It didn't feel responsive and as an immediate, yeah. Well, and that's the problem. Like, even if you say, oh, if you use the example of, oh, it's like spinning a globe as an, um, a way to control the camera, you're like, okay, I understand that conceptually. But if there is an enemy attacking me from behind, like, the process of spinning a globe, usually to do it quickly, takes, like, multiple touches, multiple yeah. spins. Yeah. Um, whereas, I'm, tr- which is okay if I'm playing, like, a slower 3D RPG or something where I just kind of need to solve a puzzle in a 3D space. But right. if there's like enemies actively attacking me, I need to make that spin happen a lot faster. And unfortunately, like that method just doesn't keep up. There's mm. also the kind of strange mechanic of like the way you dash in this game oh, is yeah. by like flicking this, like flicking the circle pad quickly in one direction will make Pit dash, whereas when you just kind of push one way, he'll kind of like gingerly skip skip in that direction. It's, yeah, it is. It's like a it's like a skip walk. Yeah, it's kind of reminiscent of like the Smash Brothers controls, how you do like the smash attacks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. That. That's a that's a good way to put. It. I mean, there there weirdly is a lot of Smash Brothers DNA in this, and a lot of this in Smash Brothers. Like I would say, like. If there's an item that you don't recognize in one of the newer Smash Brothers games, it's probably from yeah. this. Like, yeah, that big rock sword or or the the weird gun that you put together. Or the back or shield. Like the shield yeah. that's even on the, your back. Yeah, like there's there's yeah. a lot of uprising stuff in Smash Brothers now. Even the way the menu is laid out, because like I played the uh, Smash Brothers for 3DS so much, and like the way that the menu in this game is laid out with kind of like the option bubbles. 
um, yeah. strewn in different parts. Um, I think that this is the early, cause like that, I guess that was in brawl a little bit. Um, but it, yeah, it makes sense. Like, I guess Sakurai just has a very distinct way his menus are laid out and it does that sort of like grid objective. Yeah. The achievements. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, like you, yeah, you'll achieve something in the game and then it will open up an area like of blocks and then you can see the achievements surrounding it. And like that scalable, like a difficulty bar thing that goes from like 0.0, .0 to 9.9 or whatever. Like you can, yeah, there's a lot of like difficulty options for this game. So for replayability purposes, that works well because I think certain areas are only accessible at certain difficulty levels, if I understood mm -hmm. that right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, they also have that intensity thing, similar to Smash Brothers, where it's a slider from, like, 1 to 10 yeah. that you can uh, move before you start the level, and it shows the difficulty. Yeah, I'm not ready to play it on 5.5. I'll go to 5.4. <laughs> like, where did you guys <laughs> yeah. land on the yeah, difficulty I... thing? Because, like, the on-rail sections, I could do, like, you know, 7 to 8 sort of difficulty, but that once sure. the 3D platforming sections, like, I'd get killed so many times I'd end up going down to, like, 2 or something. I did yeah. the same. I did the same. And I think the saving grace of those on foot sections is that they are pretty easy. Um, I think. Well, it, yeah, it, they it, are pretty easy if you're playing on two out of 10 difficulty. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, that's fair. There's a lot of options there, but like playing it on easy mode is the way to make it palatable. I think like it's the way to kind of get through those because, you know, frankly, they're a chore. They really are. It's no, it's not much fun to feel like you're wrestling with your game character when they're not when it's not a wrestling game you yeah. know? Like, <laughs> it, it, it feels like you know it, it feels like i'm really struggling to get him to go where i need him to go and like look where i need him to look well that's why i was surprised and, you, you know, guys played it um wholly in 3d because like yeah on the on rail sections 3d like was a essential like i thought that looked so good and they did so well with that but then yeah on the platforming ones yeah i turned the 3d slider off because with yeah everything else you got to deal with i found like the 3d as an addition was a little too overwhelming and because the frame rate drops as well when you flick to 3d as well is that correct or yeah it seems to I struggle like, a little bit i feel like the frame rate ran pretty clean here but it was like I was trying to do so much stuff kind of at the same time, mm. even though this game only has one attack button. Right. But, like, I already find the circle pad on the 3DS to be, like, kind of an awkward thing to mess around with. Yeah. And then to simultaneously be trying to balance the console on my knee and, um, you know, moving around with the touchpad, like, I just kept having to adjust things. I never quite got a sense that I was particularly able to focus on the gameplay. And I think that is kind of a bummer because like this is a pretty big ambitious game that like if basically it had just come out like on the Wii almost like as a straight port with maybe like some slightly uh, lighter looking environments and a little less blurry, like I think it would have been a great Wii game. I think so, um, yeah. Or or if it had just been entirely an on-rail shooter, like I would have loved that. Uh, yeah, well because like there's more there's more depth here um sim well, you know, that's that third dimension. To, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They try to integrate some RPG elements like at the the levels have a lot of secrets in them. Um you can go and find new weapons and then you can um obviously equip um but you can also fuse multiple weapons together to make like a, a different weapon and like i the third level i played with like this giant club 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Which kind of had a different vibe and speed than the other weapons. That one was weird because you can only kind of like swat enemy projectiles back at them. Yeah. And I found that like there were some bosses where like their weak point was at the top of their body and you couldn't reach it with that club while you're on foot so there's kind of no clear way to beat them the club would would shoot a projectile but you have to like wait a little bit and okay. then have be aiming directly at the boss's weak point for it to actually shoot the projectile i see so, yeah, okay that was not super intuitive yeah um and there's also like a big selection of special powers and items that Pitts gets that he can use which is arranged very weirdly on like a tetris or block is reminded me of resident where, like, evil 4 Yes. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to fit them in, but they're like, they. It's not like Resident Evil Four, where they're like, oh, the shotgun takes up this many squares. They're literally just like, all right, this power looks like a red tetrad. <laughs> yeah, like they just look like Tetris pieces, and like again, adding to like confusion to use these powers, you have to click on them on the lower right or lower left hand corner of the screen. But, like, at one point, I had, like, six different powers, and it only displays three at a time. Right. So I had to, like, go down there and hit these tiny arrows on the lower left corner to select my other powers. And then, like, they didn't even seem to sort of activate consistently. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure how that worked. And, Elliot, I'm hoping you can help explain. I was very confused by one feature. Like, I I found it simultaneously cool and baffling. Uh, The AR cards... Have you messed with these very much? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me about the egg toss. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, the egg toss I want to know about too, but yeah, yeah. But No, you just reminded yeah, me, so I this... forgot to dig them up and look for them. Were they just like, they would just unlock weapons within the game? Uh, and I was really not clear. So this game, uh, at retail, it came packed with like six random playing cards. Uh, and for whatever reason, when I, I, I have this used copy and it came with a full deck. So I've got like every oh, one of these cool. cards. Um, and basically, you just put them on a flat surface. You take pictures of them with your uh, uh, camera on the 3DS. And then little 3D models of the characters will appear in AR like above the actual physical cards. Uh, like the ones that did ship um, with the 3DS that had like Mario and Kirby and stuff. And yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was just confused because on the back of the box, it says you can scan these in and you can battle with them. But I couldn't find any way to battle with them. I was just getting like it would unlock something in like my my vault, you know, or it would add a character description to my archives for whatever reason. But I couldn't figure out how to make them fight. And I'm sitting here just like poking them. I'm like, I want them to fight. Yeah, I'm looking this up right now on the Kid Icarus wiki, of course. Um, Kid Icarus. Yeah, there's like. There's a fucking ton of these cards. Like, yeah. um, I how big is your like? It looks like there's hundreds. Like they came in, they're multiple series in booster packs. Like, yeah, there's. I've probably got at least a hundred of them. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I've I have never heard of or seen anyone play with these cards. They're they're really and I, I'm I'm still like I I'm like amazed by the technology. You know, that's still something that uh, like you know even. Having been playing Pokemon Go for years now, I'm still kind of like amused by the idea of putting a virtual character into a real life scenario, but I don't understand the functionality of it. I just couldn't quite crack it. It Yeah, I'm not getting really the impression that they have much to do with the game. Like you scan it and you receive um, an idol, which are essentially like your trophies, like in, in a Smash Brothers, um, and, as well as hearts that you use to buy new weapons. 
Okay. Well, I got a shitload of those. Either way. <laughs> Could be a good collector's a item because, like, that's the other thing with this game is that, like, an inbox copy is uh, worth quite a bit, especially if you can ship it with the Kickstand. Yeah. It's become, what, yeah, one of the more valuable 3DS cards. Like, even loose is yeah. more than uh, what it cost at retail. Which is, oh, wow. like, surprising, that. especially for, like, a launch game for a console. And, and again, we need to point out how weird it is that this came with a stand. Like, <laughs> it's Nintendo acknowledging, it's like, okay, well, it's really uncomfortable to play this game, like, the normal way you play a handheld game. So, we're going to build in a little workaround for you. You can try and play this on the bus, but good luck. Yeah, this is a game that I I imagine has kind of maintained, like, there are definitely, like, defenders and people who stick up for this game and like there were moments where i was playing it where i'm like oh yeah this game is kind of like a bit of a gem like in terms of like how ambitious it is and to have this sort of big 3d kind of devil may cry style game on a handheld console seems cool and so like when you kind of think about this game or like learn about the features you're like oh that game must be pretty good and then when you actually do the act of playing it you're like this just doesn't work the way I want it to. Mm. Yeah, where where do you come down on this, Ellie? Are you like more of a fan, or do you like this more as a, uh, a curiosity? Well, this was another situation where I was like, when you asked what game we'd do for this, I like sort of picked this, knowing that yeah, uh, back when it was first released, I put like uh, somewhere between forty and sixty hours into it, played it through multiple wow, times, wow. like because the thing with the weapons as well is it really does incentivize multiple playthroughs and um yeah especially what you're talking before about with the fusing like there's a little mini alchemy sort of game that you're playing with it and like uh, seeing how you go experimenting with all the different weapons at least back then i found really added to the replayability but then yeah going back to it now i found it so much more of a struggle um and I did find myself wondering the whole time, like, if they were to port this game, you know, um, if they go, uh, like, if they could do it with dual thumbsticks, would it fix it? Would it uh, take away any of the elements uh, that make it unique well, in, in that respect? I, I, I was thinking about that, too, because for all of the stuff that you're doing in this game and for as weird as, like, it can feel to play it, like, it's really not any different it's really not a far reach from a devil may cry or a bayonetta it's just like you're trying you're using your right hand to control the camera and the way you look um and so i think it would become a very playable um smooth action game if you were just playing it with a second stick yeah and like i i have a new 3ds xl um so it has it has the nub, you know. Steve and I always talk about the little nub. Um, Got to hit the on, nub in the right hand corner of the of the system. And like, even if this game had nub functionality, <laughs> like for whatever weird reason, when you use the nub, it moves pit. Like it, it does the same thing as the circle pad itself. Yeah. And if they had like released a patch or something for it when the new 3ds came out that made the nub control the camera, um it would have made such a big difference. Like you can change the controls here where you use the circle pad to control the camera and then move using the face buttons. But like, you know, that's antithetical to the way we have learned to play 3d games. Yeah. Sure. Um, so like that in some way feels more precise, but like is also kind of unplayable. Cause I don't want to use my, the face buttons to move with my right hand and um, like i was so annoyed because i remember it um yeah. around like i don't know a year after the launch they did release a 
uh, an add-on thumbstick that you could attach to the 3DS. I think they did it for Resident Evil, possibly. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, kind of that weird little peripheral you would clip onto the side or something. Yeah, and I bought it at a discount on an impulse just thinking, oh, obviously if this exists, then Nintendo would have a mode for it to function in this game. But it absolutely did not. And, yeah. (laughs) And, yeah, it surprises me, too, that they never released a patch for that. But I do agree with you at, like, that is the weird thing about this game is I think it would be objectively a better game if um, there was some kind of second stick or if it, you know, was on a different system that wasn't hindered by this way. Um, But that is kind of the weird charm of it, as much as I've been ragging about the, you know, the control scheme. Like, it feels weird and unique to, like, be simultaneously, like, frantically shuffling around your stylus um and like tapping the l button and you're just doing a lot of stuff at the same time which can feel pretty cool yeah Yeah, for for better or for worse there is nothing else that plays quite like this yeah and Uh, that's sort of why to me like i think i'd rather a sequel rather than a port but masahiro sakurai has been kind of busy over the last 10 years Little bit, little bit. It is. It does feel weird that this was never followed up on because this was a successful game. You know, being a, a launch game for uh, a new console, like it's pretty much guaranteed to be successful. Uh, and it was critically well received, even though people were acknowledging some of the flaws of it. Uh, but yeah, it never really got a proper follow up. I'm not sure if we're ever going to see one at this point. I think this might have been Kid Icarus's last at bat uh, per se, but. You know, it's hard to say. This has been a weirdly resilient series. It's kind of uh, uh, stuck around in a lot of people's consciousness. And, uh, you know, I, I think this game definitely has the seeds of, like, a cult following. You know, I think more so than even the original game. I think this one does something so weird and so unique. And it has such a, a sharp sense of humor and, like, a good sense of fun about it. Like, I could see this one having a much bigger cult following than even the original. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's just a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bummer. It's basically designed for a system that doesn't can't really play it. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't know how else to describe it. Like it's it's kind of just a a game that is very neat but not very fun to play. On yeah. that as well. Uh did you guys were, were you able to mess around with the multiplayer at all or No, I didn't. No. Um, I, I didn't as well. I didn't have anyone to play with. It's just like, yeah, calling around, Same. like, bring your 3DS, my what? Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, I had a look at some videos on online, and yeah, so it is the 3D platforming sections that sort of turns it into a third-person shooter um, mode, and uh, some people rode hard for it apparently back in the day, but like, I can't even remember engaging with it when I was really into it. I mean, and they, this is a good, like, this was one of the systems alongside the Wii U where Nintendo was really finally starting to embrace online. Mm. They were very late to that party. And I think one of the big selling points of the 3DS early on is, like, this is a handheld console with online functionality. And it's only eight years after Sony did it. So, you know, <laughs> that's pretty good by Nintendo standards. Yeah, it's pretty good. Fashionably late to the party, as uh, always. <laughs> as always. You know, they keep their own time, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that this um, is kind of a Nintendo series that has, like, Pit has its own kind of weird identity, and there's not much that Nintendo has that's sort of rooted in this more, like, fantastical, like, kind of angels and 
demons monster thing aside from Bayonetta, uh, but that that's kind of a different audience. Um, so I do think that there is a place for this. Um, yeah, even I'd be curious to see Pit come back, but like to me, like I, the little trilogy that we got of uh, Kid Icarus games is kind of an interesting footnote. Yeah. Yeah, I think more more so than uh, than anything else, it is just kind of a footnote. But it's yeah, yeah, I I agree. It's 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 a fascinating and kind of charming little series. Um, well, I think that's about all I have on this. Elliot, did you have any final uh, thoughts on Kid Icarus? No, uh, I think we covered it, got through it all. Um, but yeah, it was a nice little thing to dust off my 3ds again, and um, yeah, curious to jump into a few more of those games. Uh, and yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm so glad we got the opportunity to talk about these and to and to chat with you one more time. This is our very last Patreon funded bonus episode. You've been uh, a supporter since the beginning and one of our, our our chief advocates, and it's it's really just meant the absolute world. Uh, it's it's been one of the great perks of this show is getting to meet people like yourself that we never would have encountered otherwise. You know, being like <laughs> a full continent and the, the time zones away, but mm, uh, sure. It's it's been really cool uh, getting to record with you, and thank you so much again for your support and all the uh, the great stuff you brought to this show. No, absolutely. And yeah, this is this is your last chance to uh, plug things with our listeners, <laughs> or so to really tell us <laughs> off if you want to do that yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. That would that would be an interesting. Your twin. opinions <laughs> on Hyrule Warriors spot. Legends? Oh my god, no. <laughs> <laughs> to have been have been supporting and following the show for a long time, just to be like, ha. I pranked you guys. It was a long con to tell you that you both are jerks. Um, but yeah, what what uh, where else can people find you or you know, the, the many many things that you work on? Uh, well, yeah, uh, yeah. Before I get into that, yeah, just uh, support was no question. I absolutely love what you guys did and and um, your voices in the yeah video game review podcast uh, sphere. Like, I think you guys yeah put together um, an amazing show and just yeah years of great content and the patreon was um all the stuff you did there was incredible like it's an incredible body of work and yeah i think you guys should be very proud and anyone who's listening to this for free uh, i believe your patron is still open and yeah absolutely buy into that and uh, suck up all that content that you guys have produced because it's all good stuff (laughs) uh thank you so so much no well done but uh if you want to hear more of me, I've got ongoing content for years and years and years. Uh, yeah, so I host a podcast called The Simpsons Index. Uh, we review Simpsons from all across the eras. We've uh, reviewed 650 of their 700-something episodes now. Um, Oof. Oh, my gosh. Uh, reviewed Game of Thrones backwards on Thrones of Game. Uh, d- had a scripted podcast series, which Steve starred in the last episode. Uh, it's called Pulp Fury oh, yeah. Radio. And, yeah, you can find Steve uh, opening up jazz noir our episode there which is kind of like a noir mystery sort of ep- uh, podcast so go check that out also on patreon at patreon.com slash studios where we're making a lot of bonus uh, simpsons focus content there <laughs> well that's fantastic oh. i highly recommend all of these definitely check those out uh and uh yeah just thank you so much again and thank you everybody for listening like i said you can you can still find patreon content on the patreon.com slash ultra 64 pod it's all there for five bucks so uh feel free to jump in uh and i hope our paths cross again ellie you're you're an awesome dude and we we appreciate you uh uh, guesting on the show no absolutely can't wait to see what you guys cook up in the future and uh yeah (laughs) 
All right, y'all. Right. Well, we are uh, flying off into the sun and uh, hopefully not plummeting to our debts. Um, <laughs> That's a dream. We will. Uh, we will see you all next time. Bye.